it was always part of the plan to put a brewery in, but for many years it, it was just a plan. It's 100% acquisition of Green Beacon. No, we had a chat with everybody. Anyone would have seen this coming a mile away. It's the passion and the, the dedication to beer and brewing. Oh, yeah. That's super simple and direct question. It's always fun to get to speak about beer. And thanks to Cry Malt, I'm Matt Kirkegaard, and that's just what we're here to do, talk about beer. And this week, barrels of it. Recently, Brisbane's Ballistic Beer launched its Bunker Project that will focus on mixed fermentations and barrel-aged beers. It follows similar moves from breweries across the country to create dedicated spaces for creating beer in barrels. With Ballistic already on a tear as a business, recently announcing the purchase of its third and fourth brewing venues, and having a significant focus on the much more excitement-driven styles such as hazies, fruited sours and dessert styles, a small, labour-intensive barrel project seemed to be a potential distraction from the brewery's main game. To find out a little bit more about the project and the reasons behind it, I caught up with the person tasked with developing it, Ballistic's quality and innovation brewer, Jake Harrison. As you'll hear, we talk about what led Jake from a career as a town and environmental planner to brewing via the old kitten kilo inspired by his dad. We talk about where beer is at and where it's headed, including into barrels. And I wonder whether some of the fads that we're seeing will go away the way that the disco era BGs did and become tragically unhip. Jake has some interesting thoughts on that. It's a fun chat and I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. Jake Harrison, welcome to Beer is a Conversation. Thank you, Matt. So Happy this, to this, be here. Yeah, this is one of those nice ones where we actually get to clink glasses <laughs> rather than just uh, uh, make eyes across the internet. Yeah, fantastic. Tell us a little bit about, as we always do, um, tell us the Jake Harrison story. Yeah, um, so I've been brewing uh, commercially since uh, late 2017, uh, September 2017. I started at Ballistic as an assistant brewer. Prior to that, um, yeah, I guess I share a kind of passionate home brewer story like so many others in the industry and I kind of spent a few years going down that rabbit hole and uh, ended up I guess a little bit disillusioned in my previous career which, which was at, which is urban and town planning town planning and, and environmental science so um, towards the end of my career I was working as a as an ecologist and doing a lot of work for private consulting and um, you know working on big mine sites and things like that and I guess I kind of got sick of going to mine sites and, <laughs> and um, you know, trying to do environmental work for in environments like that was a bit conflicting. But um, yeah, I kind of took the plunge and um, started studying my um, grad cert um, at Federation Uni. Like, uh, you know, a lot of people in the industry have, have done that course. And um, that was a little bit before I kind of made the leap over to ballistic. It was, I think, actually a bit of a... Um, it was kind of a joke, like my application as the assistant brewer at Ballistic, I didn't think I had a chance. I was kind of just applying on a whim and then Lockie called me up about a week later and pretty much tried to talk me out of the job on the phone. <laughs> <laughs> well, we, we, we might come to that, but let, 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 let's jump back. Um, yeah. I'm always fascinated about the qualities in people that lead them to a first career, but then guides them into yeah. their, their brewing. So. Was your background in science or was it in the town planning and you saw... An- well, it was it was kind of both. So I did an environmental planning degree um, through Griffith Uni. So I sort of had 
one foot in the, the planning realm and one foot in the environmental science realm. And over time, I kind of, I guess, drifted more into terrestrial ecology. And that was a passion that I kind of always had. And just through the way my, my job and employer kind of demands went, um, I kind of embraced ecology over uh, development applications and things like that. So, well, because that's interesting. I'm, 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 you know, I think back to you know when I left school, a seventeen year had a vision of you know, you know the passions of a seventeen year old and the interests of a seventeen year old driving what I wanted to do. What was it that led you to 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 your first career? Um, yeah, it's a good question. I I think it's hard. Like I kind of to be really honest, like when I ended up in my particular degree it wasn't my first preference and i what what, what was the first uh, i think it was landscape architecture okay looking back so um but over time i you know i I thought the plan was to probably stick it out for a semester or two and then change and i never did um i kind of stuck with it uh and decided that it was probably a better that was kind of a lucky was that break. laziness or oh, so, no, so, so it wasn't I, sort of. Uh... I think I think around the same time, um, I kind of started to develop a different view of like wanting to be an architect. I didn't really that didn't jive at the time, and I I think I deferred uni and I went and travelled and I had a couple of years to think on stuff and you know get all that out of my system and then I came back and put my head down a bit yeah, but working for somebody who was a, a business that was consulting to the mines yeah, or you're working yeah. directly for the mines I used to work for a company called Kellogg Brown and Root so okay like yeah, KBR a, yeah. yeah KBR so I used to work for those guys for almost a decade it was about eight years I think in the end so yeah and then slowly a bit I jaded guess, what, what was it that yeah, got you jaded about it wasn't like yeah I guess I don't know is that whole grass is greener mentality a little bit I felt like um i could probably the beer thing kind of came at a convenient time and i i was you know my partner was really supportive and you know it was probably a good time to kind of roll the dice with the beer thing i always felt like if it didn't work out i could go back like i I didn't feel like i was burning bridges (laughs) um but at the same time yeah i was you know i was going to work for you know 50 hours a week and then coming home and doing home brewing like four nights a week and on the weekend and driving my my partner crazy and, so, <laughs> and she works for I government was, i think i met her the other night yeah yeah tamara yeah tamara? um she does she works for um agriculture know, agriculture that's right yeah so she does a lot of drought, drought uh, and is that how you met through through the no, all, so just, just completely no, okay no, completely different so let's talk about home brewing when yeah. uh, were you the classic uni student who was looking for cheap grog um, um and making cooper's kits or i guess at the very beginning yeah but um my dad's always brewed like kit and kilo style and still does like it's a running joke with me and him because i'll you know try and direct him in different ways or send him random bags of hops and all yeasts to try and but he's still kitten kilo man through and through um no matter how much i kind of you know give him grief for it um so yeah i guess i started as kitten kilo like most people but that really only lasted like one beer and then i kind of decided that you know i wanted to try extract and oh by the time i started brewing i was interested in beer so i kind of gravitated to all grain pretty quick and so so what got you was it your dad's influence and wanting to make beer or was it just an interest like you had discovered craft beers and wanted yeah. to understand the better what was um, 
I think it was probably a few things happening simultaneously. Like, I can't play down the allure of cheap beer. <laughs> um, but I learned pretty quick that, um, you know, quality homebrew required certain things. And I've always been pretty curious about science and, you know, working out the why and the how. And so... Yeah, I kind of went down the rabbit hole pretty fast, I think. And and I was, yeah, passionate about, you know, beers that had influenced me and my travels in Europe or, um, yeah, different things, I guess, all kind of, compo- you know, compiling together at the same time. But, yeah, it was a multitude of factors. Did you have a background in science at school? Like, would, were you a science? Uh, I've always or, been pretty keen on, like, the biology side of things. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, so... Yeah, fermentation and things like that have always been pretty uh, things of interest, for sure. You like the cheap beer, you're interested in the fermentation, you know, what was it that, you know, have you identified any aspect of it that dragged you in as deeply as it did? Yeah, I think for me personally, um, I really enjoy recipe design and uh, flavors um, and, you know, understanding raw materials. And that's something that's kind of evolved throughout my brewing experience. Do you cook? Yes. Okay. Yes. Um, I'm not, you know, not the greatest. I mean, yeah, I, I like to cook and I like flavors and I, I like experimentation and, and trying something. I'm not afraid to try something new. Um, so definitely, I think pretty quickly into my all grain kind of journey, you know, even even brewing extract, I was sort of making my own sort of extract recipes. Yep. And at that point probably more were worse than better i guess <laughs> back in those early days but yeah that i think that kind of triggered something for me and it's kind of led me to where i am now in a way um like the recipe design part of my role is one of my most you know favorite parts of the job i think but it, it was one of the big aha moments for me in beer because in you know when i fell in love with beer there was my internal narrative that, you know, God, this is as good as wine and we should treat it like wine and we should approach it like wine. But then it was, you know, speaking to brewers and hearing the way uh, that they talk about it, that brewing is much more like chefing than winemaking is. You know, winemaking, you've got one ingredient, you want to steer it, you, you want it to develop the, the, the way that you, you can. But... It, you're not as um, determinative as you are in brewing, whereas brewing is much more you've got a list of ingredients and you've got an idea of what you want the outcome to be and how to achieve that using this huge palette of ingredients. That's right. There's that, that conceptualization of, of how certain flavors come together and yeah, yeah, getting all those flavors to kind of meld. And yeah, it's, it's a fun part of the process for sure. It is, but it's, um, and when you think of it that way, you know, it, it does change our relationship with what beer is because, you know, like we don't think of food, uh, you know, I, I guess cheese is probably a little bit more, cheese is seen, cheese is a little bit more like wine because you've got milk and it's the process that you use and see what it becomes. Whereas beer, you go, well, shit, what sort of hops do I want to use to, it, here's my vision for where I want it to go. Um, what hops do I need to give it that level of bitterness, that level of flavour, you know, that level of aroma? What malts do I need to give it? A, 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 what yeast will work best with that to give me the 
vision for what I want to create. That's it. I guess, you know, like in like the wine comparison or something like cheese, you know, like there's that that sense of place or terroir or, you know, all that sort of stuff has a real kind of pertinence for something like wine, obviously, you know, like the, the agricultural side of it is just as much as part of the expression as the, the fermentation and, and conditioning, whereas beer, you, you know, you it's a lot more difficult to do that or you're relying on multiple multiple raw materials that have typically got different origins so yeah it's it it's you're you're using things from from multiple origins to create something that that people can kind of come together and enjoy and it's yeah it's it's a different beast for sure but there's i i tend to agree with you like it's much more it's just very similar to cooking in that regard yeah yeah absolutely you can still express some sort of regionality or some sort of flavor profile but um yeah it's there's there's fewer and fewer examples where there's that kind of tie into like a sense of place i guess well if you've got hops from tasmania and you know german floor malts and you know a a belgian yeast that you know there's no genuine sense of place um Really, like it, it's got what I call a cultural terroir. You're making something that is appropriate to Brisbane to be consumed in a hot, humid summer, um, yep. but using ingredients, and that's where I think beer has a cultural terroir. Yeah. Um, but I, I, the the other thing that I think about beer is, by and large, you know, if if you're a chef, a lot of people get into cooking thinking that they're going to express their creativity, but as a chef. You only create the recipe once, and then you have to bang it out exactly the same 120 times a night, seven nights a week. Yeah. And if you, there's a variation, people complain. You know, if 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 the you know um, goat's cheese salad is different this week than it was last week, they send it back. Yeah. Or yeah. like production brewing. Yeah. Well, but that's and that's the thing. Which and all of this is a way of sneaking up a little bit on the topic that we really want to talk about, which is the um, ballistic barrel age um, project the, the the bunker that you're heading up yep um where does you know where does if you look at making a pilsner is creating a consistent high quality thing week after week after week so someone at the bottle shop doesn't notice a seasonality of the, the the hops and the malts where does barrel aging fit into that notion of brewing i think for me like um it's another tool to to express um, the flavors and characteristics that that people seek out in beer. Um, I guess for us at at the bunker project here, like we'll yes wholeheartedly embrace, embrace barrels as much as we can, and we'll also use stainless and and kind of whatever method sort of works for given beer. Um, but yes, I think barrels really impart you know a lot of romance and uniqueness to beers. Um, there's something about the typ- typically the types of beers, you know, that you'll be maturing in barrels. They're ready on their terms, um, which is definitely a, a juxtaposition to like what we're used to in the production brewing space where, you know, we're working to pretty tight deadlines and um, consistency's something we strive for, whereas I almost find in barrels having variations really great in that you can then use that from a, a blending methodology and and you know kind of use that to your advantage um that's something i mean we're not quite there yet um but we'll be doing our first blends here in the next week or two so that's that's exciting to finally start to you know go down that rabbit hole and and 
and dip into older barrels and you know some of the younger stock that we've got kicking around so so what was the idea because we have seen i, I think uh last week or the week before black ops released yeah uh, you know, the launch their barrel the program. AWOL program yeah um felons has a barrel program uh you know you've got places like wildflower that are all barrel um yep. program um yep. you you've got boat rocker um you know a dollar bill barrels are increasingly seem to be something that you know breweries uh automatically start playing around with barrels what does it add to a, a brewery that's particularly one that's rapidly expanding like ballistic is yeah i mean for us it's something that has been, I guess, a bit of a passion project. I've always been like really interested in mixed fermentation beers, probably going back to about 2016, I guess, really. Um, and I started sort of making them in earnest at home, 2015, 2016. And um, uh, it's kind of, I guess I've kind of been in Lockie and David's ear from the beginning. And eventually that persistence has kind of paid off. But yeah, I think it it's, it's something that we, we're a brewery that, like so many others that that do love to experiment and and like to brew different styles and mixed fermentation is definitely always something that we were keen to explore it was just a matter of having a situation that was you know workable for us so that we're not sort of imposing unnecessary risk on the the production um, facet of the business at the main main brewery hence kind of when this little area popped up a kilometer down the road it kind of I guess sparked the the opportunity to to really um, have a crack and um, you know commit to a a small program that that sort of we can grow into a little bit. Um, yeah, I, it, it's it's something definitely that you know we've wanted to do since 2017, um, and then around sort of you know maybe late 2018 the, the things started to really gain a bit of momentum and and yeah. I guess the the seed was sowed, you know. But a brewery like uh, Ballistic, you know, as you said, like I think you were the second brewer after Blocky was brewer number one. Yes. Um, so you were the second brewery employee. There's now ten brewers on staff. I think or? we've got, I think we've got about eight, eight or nine, eight brewers on staff. Yeah. Um, expanded very very quickly. Um, Expanded out to Springfield venue. You've got the the, the tap room. You've just bought yep. two new breweries. There's so much going on for you. Um, yep. And then a little project like this, I, I, you know, it would almost seem like a distraction um, <laughs> from you know the, the the core business of filling volume. Yeah, yeah. In a way, I think it. Yeah, it could be. It could be seen that way. Um, I mean, particularly with the the venues, kind of and. I mean, that's something that I'm not heavily involved with, I guess, you know, like I, my, my role is quality and innovation and, and the bunker here. I, I'm really lucky, you know, that this is, you know, that, that the business is committed to this and I get to kind of, you know, head it up and sort of try and execute on this front. Um, but yeah, definitely doesn't make life any easier. Um, <laughs> that's for sure. But it's a challenge that that I relish for sure. Yeah. Absolutely. So, what role? Quite apart from the artistic expression of the beers, what business role do barrel aged beers fit for a you know a brewery? Because we, we've seen um, Hawaiian Haze you know fill the pipeline of a national distribution, big support behind it with billboards and things. Yeah. Um, that's obviously a, a big play that Ballistics making. Yeah. What sort of business case do you make for? 
having a barrel program. Yeah, I'm probably the the financial team's like thorn in their side. I think. <laughs> okay. Um. Yeah. Look, I mean, we're we're not looking to to make heaps of cash out of this project. It's never going to be a, a big money spinner for the business. Um. But I think it does it does kind of provide a, a really um, good platform to express in this space and, and do it in a way that we're not, um, you know, I guess putting undue risk into the main production space and, and the beers that are our kind of breadwinners. Um, but I mean, with that said too, like it's, it's getting the model right. And, and for us, you know, we've sort of definitely acknowledged that, you know, these beers, they sit in a, in a higher price bracket than your standard parallels and the like. Um, and having a direct point of sale to the customer kind of allows us to work direct with customers. So um, these aren't going to be going into a bottle shop. We we, we are working with a with a small number. Like I don't have the exact number off the top of my head. I think it's about fifteen across the country. Um, limited stock, and then the majority of everything will go through our web store. So we will be getting stock out for people to get from their you know their favourite sort of indie bottle shops in capital cities. Um, and at our own venues, but uh, beyond that, yeah, th- all those those outlets are sort of limited stock, a little bit of keg stock, so you know people can get you know a squealer or something or, or get it over the bar. Um, but uh, yeah, predominantly through the web stop, just, so yeah, direct to, direct to customer. So is it something you know again looking at the, the the business case for it, something that you can constantly create you know w- 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 without entering into the the hype dessert beer arms race of bringing out a different beer every month yeah have something that you know comes out that has a focus on you know that some of that romance and tradition you were talking about to to engage you know in enthuse ballistics consumer, or consumer base, base yeah. yeah absolutely absolutely and i mean it, it gives us you know th- these are there's a lot of people at Ballistic that are, um, you know, are passionate about these sorts of beers, and um, we, you know, dearly want to fill that sort of gap in our um, offerings. But yeah, it is it is a bit tricky to sort of get the balance right so that we're not just, you know, digging our own hole financially. Mm. Um, it's yeah, um, it, it's yeah, definitely something that we're, you know, eager to to sort of provide for the consumer base and and provide a little bit of a point of difference as well as a business and you know yes you know we do lots of hoppy stuff and and you know do a nice lager and and whatever but um yeah it'd be nice to sort of show people what nice farmhouse beers and you know barrel aged sours and stuff um we have as well so for stepping out of that business case what's what's the you know as a creative brewer, what what does it allow you to do? You know, um, I, 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 and we're having the shapeshifter. No, we're having oh, this the this is the graft. The, yeah, the, the, the graft. Grisette. Yeah, four and a half percent grisette. Uh, I guess it's you know it's a bit of a modern interpretation of a a style that's kind of making a bit of a comeback. I guess has been. I've seen a few commercial examples in the last few months, so that's kind of cool. But yeah, it's a. Uh, it's uh, co-ferment. Um, there's some Belgian saison yeast sort of driving the ship, but a little bit of um, uh, Saccharomyces bruxellensis toir and Amalgamation 1 in the background throwing a nice bit of fruitiness mm-hmm. and um, complexity and a little bit of sort of and there's no noble hops it. as yeah, well. Yeah, there's a little bit of... There is, yeah. So there's the Amalgamation 1 blend, which mm-hmm. is a kind of 
tropical yeast blend that's put out by um, Yeast Bay. Yep. In the states, so um, yeah, it's it's just simple, elegant farmhouse beer, really. Like it's, you know, I guess on the slightly on the higher ABV ticket for a for a table beer, but it's um, yeah, it's. I mean, if I could drink beer like you know that style every day on a desert island, I'd be pretty happy, I reckon. And it's a style of beer that you know, as much as I love hops, it's not a hops. And hop-driven beers aren't table beers because they don't go as a... I don't think they tend to go with food. But a beer like this, it's got that subtle, you know, some of those fruity tones coming through from the yeast without that bitterness to override the food. Yeah. Um, Just seems to... I can imagine pairing that or, you know, even a salad... um, you know, like a, a salad with roast zucchini and uh, goat's cheese or something along those lines, I think would go really nicely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think they, they do. They do hold up really well with, with food and, um, you know, that subtle complexity of flavor that these beers have is a really kind of admirable trait, I think. I think that's what keeps me um, really intrigued. Like, they don't necessarily need to be sour. Um, but, yeah, I think, you know, good table beer or grisette-style beer is something that, you know... Hopefully, more and more people, you know, enjoy them more moving forward. There's so many good commercial examples now. Like, oh, I mean, not necessarily grisette style, but like in that table beer space. You yep. know, I think of like Wildflowers table beer is just mm. one of my favorite, yeah, my favorite beers. Um, yeah, so there's, yeah, it's it's good. It's good to, you know, I guess be finally releasing stuff like this and and getting it out there it's exciting so how much do you think you can expand because at the moment it's just a like a relatively modest you know pub cool room size yeah. for the um for for the kegs but you're already looking at more space um how big yeah well we're trying to probably cap the program we yeah barrel wise i don't think we'll go more than about oh, we could probably yeah with a little bit of additional lease area um you know we could easily accommodate maybe like 120 plus barrels but um space is definitely an issue and it's we were trying to always keep a small footprint with this um we didn't really want to overcommit, and i guess with having a few venues around the place you know if we really had to get creative i'm sure i could stash a few barrels somewhere else in a pinch (laughs) but um yeah it's it's i think the space is it is very small, modest space, but it's it's kind of kitted out in a way that really allows us to move some volume if, if we need to. Mm-hmm. Like we've got the 225 heck, um, 2,500 litre um, stainless fermenters here, which is a real kind of point of difference. Um, that's matched to our brew house, which is a kilometre down the road. So I can, you know, relatively easily get, you know, 20... Two, like 2,200 litres of, of wort over here, you know, in an hour and and into those tanks and um, kind of turn through volume um, without having a brew house. Um, there's a bit of labor involved and a bit of mucking around, but it's um, it sort of gives us a bit of flex to um, lean into the farmhouse stuff a bit more as well. Yeah. Like, you know, so these beers don't necessarily need to sit in oak. Like they, they this particular beer is stainless, hundred percent stainless. Okay. And, um, yeah. So um it's kind it's a, it's a, it's an interesting site in that it just gives us a lot of flexibility. Um, the the temperature control barrel room is kind of non negotiable up here in Queensland because it's just too hot. But <laughs> you know you can get through maybe one summer and then your beer's pretty well cooked. So um, two summers is is a brave move up here if you 
you know, running ambient temperatures with barrels, I think it's it's a bit hard. So, um, yeah, temperature control was kind of a non-negotiable for this program, but we've kept that quite small to sort of keep energy down and um, I can kind of literally, like, pun intended, but, like, bunker down in summer and just fill the barrel room with barrels and kind of, you know, keep that yep. on ice, so to speak, until um, things start to cool down. And at this time of year, I kind of bring things out again and embrace ambient temperatures <laughs> but you know between october and april it's sort of a it's sort of non-negotiable like we need we need the temp control for the yeah. barrels yeah but again i mean I, it, it's one of the things I look, I look at the even with 120 barrels and the volume that would come out of that when you look at the the, the, the cost of running a cool room and the, the, the leasing of the space and the opportunity costs of your time and you know all, all of those things quite apart from the added yeah. cost of, of the beer is it something that the, 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 the beers will pay for themselves do you think or is it something that as a business it adds value more broadly to the business I think it's a bit of yeah definitely like definitely the latter has some credence because it yeah it definitely um, you know provides a Another aspect to the business that that has some value for sure, but um, yeah, I think we, you know, the the models and stuff that we put together for this, we can make it work. Um, but overheads are keeping overheads down is definitely a key factor. Um, this site is is great in the sense. Um, so Food Connect, uh, who who I guess is our landlord here. Um, They've and got Ballistic a, has done a lot of work within um, yes. dinners. You know, yeah, yeah, I guess like the. I'll probably I'll touch on the Food Connect story in, in a tick because it is a, it's a cool story. But um, they've got a massive um, solar array on the roof and thirty three kilowatt hours of battery storage, and so the site itself is a very green site. Um, so we run our air conditioning basically, you know, through the power of the sun, um, which is nice. Yeah. Um, and yeah, try and keep our energy output as low as we can um you know we're trying to i guess for this project be as small a footprint as we kind of can be so keep the initial kind of setup costs you know down a little bit like we did have to you know fit out this site and that didn't cost nothing but um yeah we've tried to be as as cash conscious as we can and then in terms of production you know not having a brew house here and being able to just ferry word over things like that we can make work efficiently at the other site and yeah but it is a tricky model and we're still definitely figuring out the realities versus the the planning side you know you 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 plan with best intention but um there's always a few challenges along the way so they're definitely persisting a little bit but yeah i think i think it'll go fine you know i think we've got the numbers manageable it's just a, a case of um me getting the job done and and um Keep releasing beers. <laughs> now, let, let's jump back and talk a little bit more about you. So, you had this other career. Ballistic is your first professional brewing job. Yeah, it is. So, so what? So, you went to um, Federation University. Yes. To, to study the diploma, the grad certificate. Grad certificate. Yeah. Um, and you, you must. Have, yeah. So, Lockie tried to talk you out of the oh, job. Oh yeah, yeah. So it was funny. Like I think. Like so many brewing jobs, you get a lot of applicants typically and, you know, probably 90% of them um, might not necessarily be the right fit um, or more. So, yeah, I think 
you know, he saw me as like, okay, this guy's come from a, an office job or, you know, like he's a, you know, he might not understand what he's in for, et cetera, et cetera. So, yeah, it was a, it was a funny conversation. We kind of talk about it every now and again because, yeah, it was – He's like, are you sure? Is this? Are you sure you want to do this? Like, you, you know, like you don't even have calluses on your hands. Man. <laughs> and then that was kind of the wild west too in those days. Like, you know, yeah, we worked hard those, in those days, early four days. years ago. Yeah, they, back, <laughs> way, back, way then. back then. Yeah, it seems like forever ago now. But um, yeah, it was a very different, you know, production floor back then. And yeah, we got you know had to just get stuck in, and you know, big days and not easy work and. Yeah, it was busy. It was, there was only very few of us back then. And when demand started to increase, small team, like I'm, I'm preaching to the choir, I guess, with there's so many brewers that know that, know that story. So Yeah, but, you know, it's one of those things I hear from brewers a lot, the merits of not going into your own venture straight away, you know, working under experienced brewers or brewers that have even come up through the big house because, you know, for for the, the the criticisms that have been leveled at the, the big breweries, they do train staff well, yep. and they're very process oriented. And Absolutely. you know, beer is a you know, as we talked about, it's not wine making where you're just sort of sitting there letting nature take its course. There is a process and a structure and efficiencies and yep. doing it right um, matter. How have you gone? I know Lockie's an experienced brewer, um, yeah. but again, uh, a brewery that was just getting all of its processes started when you started. You know, they, they were formulating their processes, I'd imagine, when yeah, you started. Yeah, um, I consider myself really, really lucky to, to have got that gig at that time um, because, yeah, I didn't have commercial brewing experience. I had a reasonably good you know, knowledge for like recipe design and um, different raw materials. And that was a passion of mine to get in like at that early stage, just with Lockie, who's kind of come from the opposite side of the coin where he wasn't geeking out home brewing. He kind of got a job at Gage Roads as mm. a, as a young pup. And then and they worked him hard and teach, yeah, and teach so him efficiency and process. Got process dialed and really kind of took me under his wing there. And, also gave me the freedom to kind of get creative with recipes. So we kind of complemented each other um, and, and sort of still do. Like he, yeah, taught me so much and yeah, it was, it was good. Like I, I, getting that sort of like ground floor kind of baptism of fire, I guess, you know, we're a small brewery, young brewery growing really fast, um, very process focused, but um, yeah, we just had to sort of dig in and get our hands dirty. And I think that's sort of, helped shape me to where I am now, like all these years on. Yeah, it's not long ago at all, but um, yeah, I, I, I'm really grateful for that experience because I did learn a lot um, in a short amount of time and sort of had to just get on with it, you know. But as a, as, as a quality and innovation uh, brewer, you know, would having a wider background of you know, mentors, you know, having seen what a number of other people, would that have changed your experience, do you think? Or is, is brewing the sort of thing that it that there is still that gut feel and natural, you know? Yeah, it's interesting. Like, I, I'm i one of those people that definitely subscribes to, like, the gut feel thing. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, I've, I guess there's been a few, a few sort of other people, you know, um, 
peripherally that have been sort of, you know, mentors to me, whether it's sort of closely or by association. But, um, yeah, the, um, I think, yeah, ha- being rigid to process and just the facts is unescapable. Like that's objective number one, but I still kind of hold on to a little bit of that gut feel side of it i can never let that go <laughs> <laughs> and tell me about the, the 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 brewing industry i don't know if you caught the podcast we did with charlie from helios i did yeah i listened to that one which was a re- like I, I found that really interesting um to hear somebody who's been around for a long time um looking at the state of the industry and, yeah you know on, on one hand the industry can't just say well this is what craft beer is and we're going to stay doing this because consumers want something different how hard is it when you're developing recipes for a market that is changing every six months? It's, yeah, it's really hard. Um, I, yeah, I, I totally understand where Charlie was coming from. You know, with some of the points he made. Um, yeah, he's a good, he's a good friend, and um, would be one of those people that I put in that that list mm-hmm. of people that I kind of looked up to in my commercial career a lot. You know, I used to think Copycat was an awesome beer before I knew that Charlie made it. Um, but yeah, anyway, like, um, it's tough. I think, like, the I myself personally, like, these are sorts of beers are what I want to make, or even like a Pilsner, like good lagers, things like that. Love them to death, and I don't. Yeah, that that's sort of where my passion lies. Um, I love hops. I love IPAs, but it's hard when, you know, the 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 push and the the drive for the next cake beer or, um, and I, you know, I, like I, I, um, I'm sure I'm yet to have spoken to a brewer who goes, shit, man, I got into this industry to make raspberry, you know, strawberry shortcake, uh, you know, poly waffle beers. <laughs> um, no one says that, and you know, even when they sort of embarrassed, you know, oh yeah, well, we're, we're making one because. The, the, the young brewers want to make one. Yeah, and like one part of me, like I, 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 on one side of the coin, I like I am kind of a bit more of a purist. But that said, I'm totally down to experiment. Um, might not be my go-to. Um, I guess if people are happy, um, good. That's great. Uh, but yeah, I, 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 I do wonder, like yeah where we're gonna go next a little bit um but yeah it's 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 an interesting one so like and i guess for me it's always like look to the u.s you know what's happening in the u.s where are we going where are we going to be in two years time sort of thing we're recording this on monday and over the weekend i watched this will sound really odd this is i watched the bg's documentary right and go and watch it because i reckon they they were a very successful rock and roll group in the you know late sixties early seventies yep. you know um, and with their harmonies and things like that and then they almost they didn't create disco but they were very early to it um, but disco took off um, and became this and then you started getting the disco ducks and the you know the songs that were cashing in yep. on something that actually started off as being a much more substantial music movement and then it just became ridiculous and they were seen as being the face of disco yeah and for three or four years they were basically couldn't get airplay 
despite you know they, they just weren't regarded as having their and I, I do wonder whether there is going to be that same sort of lashback on some of those some of these beer styles because I've, I've you know, even before I saw this I described uh, some of the beer as being you know bad disco with um, beer is going through its bad disco phase yeah um, um, yeah I don't, I, I don't know I mean as far as I'm concerned like there's a place for everything and I'm I'm, I'm not going to hate on um, but you don't hype that, that's but, the thing if, if, if but if, if there is a blowback to it and I don't know I saw three or four tweets on the weekend from people going oh, I just want beer that tastes like beer and the the whole anti-disco thing started with a guy a radio announcer saying disco sucks and had this big record burning at a baseball game that turned into a riot because it was so... Yeah. Um, I think, too, like, everything can be done in a way that, that works, you know. I think I totally um, believe that, you know, it doesn't really matter how you do it or what you use. You can create something that's genuinely enjoyable. Um I think what I find interesting is is more the yeah like the consumer drive for for what that it's just that that push like that next thing like it has to be that little bit more you know turn it from eleven up to twelve turn yeah, it up to thirteen that's, and, and you know it's that push for more extreme and I I wonder that's the part of it that I think obviously it's not sustainable like you can only put in so much before you get negative return but that's where the baby goes out with the bathwater as well because everything is perceived you know i i really take your point that you know you can add lactose you can add fruit you can add all of these things to a beer and come back come out with something substantial and with quality or you can just throw all of that shit in just for the sake of having it on a can yeah um just so that one sells yeah and it becomes ridiculous and I'm, that was me editorialising. Like, that, that was my view. Yeah. Um, but I do worry it's about... kind of pertinent. I think the Gabs list came out yesterday. There's some absolute corkers in there. <laughs> but but that's... I, I guess that's the thing. Like, Gabs has its place. Like, the yeah, yeah, yeah. those... You know, that's where they pioneered the just go for zany. Um, yeah, yeah. And, and it gets headlines and things like that. But it's moved into the mainstream now where... Yeah. What do you think will be the next wave, or what are you seeing in America that you think Jeez, I could? Um, I really don't know, honestly. Like I, I, I think I've been a little bit. I've had my head in the sand a little bit, if I'm really honest. Um, I kind of. Um, I, I don't think the, you know, the, the fruity lactosey sours and and pastry type stuff is going to go anywhere soon um hazies are here to stay i think and there's some breweries that just execute them so so well Mm. um you know there's a lot of other stuff that's you know not not in the same league um but i think that they've collectively you know breweries collectively have improved a lot with those beers over the last couple of years but um yeah i don't know i I hope it's like mixed firm stuff, but well, I'm probably was, not right on that. <laughs> that. That was my next question. So if you don't, if you if you don't have a crystal ball to see what you think is going to, go, what do you wish is going to come? Yeah, I mean, for me personally, I wish that like farmhouse beers and stuff, but I just don't see that happening. I don't think they've got enough grab um, to sort of garner mainstream desire. Not in our market here, but. Um, 
Yeah, I think though programs such as this and you know the other ones we mentioned earlier, like you know the Felons Barrel Hall, is kind of a sight to behold. Um, and you know the Black Ops guys have done a stunning job by the looks with AWOL. I haven't seen it in person yet. No, I haven't but gotten into it. Yet I'm hoping either. to get down during the week and have a sticky beak if I can. So yeah, I mean I think there's more and more breweries that are kind of dabbling in this realm, and it's not obviously going to be a big chunk of the market that responds and you know it's 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 a it's a niche thing um but i do hope that that niche is kind of solidified over time um because i think it it deserves its place and um yeah there's a lot to be said for beers like this and then people like you know tofer at wildflower just you know just crushing it um does an impeccable job in all aspects um dollar bill van diemen there's so many I worry, I worry that I'm sort of so negative sometimes, but you know, if you go back 25 years when the first brewery started, everyone was drinking lager. Yeah, the market had to be educated to what we regard now as the mainstream craft beer styles. And I do worry that at some point over the last four or five years, hype replaced education. Um, yeah. It was just the novelty of beers was what was driving trial. As opposed to something like this, and someone a bit of hot spice. Yeah, well, just um, <laughs> I mean, uh, if you have a beer like this, as I said, it's beautiful and goes nicely with food. But it's subtle, and I, you know, and, yeah. and it needs to be educated. Yeah, is it and, loud enough for the for the mainstream consumer? And not, like, I, I get into a um, lot of trouble every time I say this. So, uh, producer at producenews.com.au. <laughs> but I really think that a lot of the hyped beer styles, a lot of the popular beer styles are catering to a really immature um, palate because if you have a beer that's you know filled with fruit and lactose and dessert, um, you don't need a good palate to discern that. It's just, oh man, yeah, look, it tastes like a dessert. A beer like this, there's a lot going on, there's a lot of complexity and you're not quite sure, oh, is it meant to taste like this? There's some interesting characters going on in here. What am I tasting? It doesn't smash you over the head. Yeah. Um, and these are beers that need a lot more education. I do worry that sometimes the there's no return on edu- on the investment in educating a market. Yeah, it's tough. I mean, I I think, um, yeah, and, and, and to a degree though, I guess there might not be much return, but I think, I think it needs to be done regardless. I think there's still like such a a core group of educated beer consumers in this country that are super passionate and and I think the the numbers there can cater for for all breweries <laughs> in this space, you know, to coexist and and do okay. Um yeah, I I probably try and take the glass half full approach on that. Um Well, my glass is empty. <laughs> Literally, mine is lit- mine's a bit over half full. Yours is over half full. Yeah, but um, yes. Look, it's it's tough. You know, it's a challenge. But I think ultimately, like we've kind of got to keep educating. You know, like it's it's the only way out. To like the more we educate, the more educated people become. Hopefully, so um, and and yeah, like like we said before. I mean, I, I think you know, there's there's place in the market for all the hype stuff and and. You know, there's so much of it that is legitimately really, really good. There's like anything. There's good and the bad, but um, 
yeah, there, there's a place, and it's just about getting probably that balance, you know. Or, or yes, I guess over time, as people become more educated, like maybe it's almost that gateway thing. Like you know, people get into hoppy beers, and then it's hazy everything, and then you know they find their way into stouts or whatever, and full circle end up at you know kettle sours or they go from kettle sours and then they try like a lambic style beer or something and it just blows their mind and then Mate, I, I think if you describe that if, if they start with two is extra dry and work through that arc and come back to a really good pilsner i reckon that is a good end result yeah it's it's the funny thing too like my my knockoff beer at work is lager like 90 yeah. percent of the time you know um I've probably been guilty of having a couple of these here. Well, but. that would be the I mean, fact. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, I could sit and... Retention stuff. Belgian Pilsner, um, yeah. for want of a better word. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yes. But um, no, I, 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 do, I do agree. But I think the education thing, you know, that's just kind of collectively like our duty to keep kind of, you know, flogging the dead horse on that because, <laughs> yeah, it can only can only benefit us in the long in the long run i hope i reckon that's as good a place as anywhere to leave it so jake harrison <laughs> thank you for this great conversation and thank you for this very lovely grisette that we've been enjoying as we've been having it it's been a pleasure matt thanks very much for stopping by and that was jake harrison radio brews news is proudly presented by crime malt with over 25 years in the field Cryo Malt is dedicated to providing the finest brewing ingredients to help brewers create the foundations of a truly excellent beer. They are your premium brewing partners and also our partner in creating beer conversations. Beer conversations.